So there was this young woman who was a spiritual seeker, and uh, she had this question in her heart that she wanted to ask this desert monk who she knew about, who had been out in the desert for years and years. And she, so she traveled out there, and she came to the holy man's cave, and he was sitting out front with his dog, sunning. And she says to him, why is it, teacher, that some people come out and they practice in the desert, but they don't stay that long? You know, they come back, maybe they stay a year, maybe two or months. But you, you've been out here for a lifetime. What's the difference? How does it, what is it for you? He says, oh, let me tell you a story to answer that question. He says, so one day, I was sitting here with my dog, like I do, we were sunning, and all of a sudden, this big white rabbit came by, and my dog just took off after that rabbit with just great passion, and started to bark very loudly. So there were other dogs that heard the barking, and they came across the creeks and over those stony embankments and through the thistles and thorns even. And all the dogs were on the chase. And the chase went on and on, he said. But after a while, the other dogs tired of it. They dropped away one by one, but my dog continued the chase. He said, in that story is the answer to your question. So, you know, she wanted to be a good student, so she was just kind of sitting there and thinking about it and dropping in. And, but she had this real confused look on her face, you know. And after a while, she says, I don't get it. <laughs> what does the story of the chasing of the dog, or the dog chasing the rabbit, have to do with the quest for God? He said, ah, you failed to ask the wrong question. So the question is, why did the other dogs drop out of the chase. He said, you see, the other dogs were attracted by my dog's barking, but they did not see what he saw, the rabbit. <laughs> well, that is the difference, he said, because, he said, I see who I am, and so I no longer follow the commotion, and that's what keeps me on heaven on earth. Yeah, right? So it's that, and we can all relate to that. I mean, it's there, I think those moments, right, when we have that clarity, that glimpse, that knowing, that feeling of presence, and it propels us deeper and further on our path. It, it reignites our passion to stay on the spiritual journey, to come back into our practices, to, to go deeper so that we can experience more of that good more of that passion, more of that joy, more of that sense of purpose. But how does the monk do it? What is the difference between what this monk does and what some of the others who have sort of lost the chase, if you will, what is the difference? Is that he, you know, or how did he come to it maybe? How did he come to that experience of seeing God, as he says, or hearing or feeling or experiencing the divine? It was through his practice, right? Through his prayers and meditation, his fasting, his time apart, his time in nature. So it's all of these things that can help us access that presence, that feeling, that knowing, that even seeing of God. Now you might be thinking, okay, fine for the monk in the desert, but that's not my lifestyle, 
right? So what about me in the midst of all this commotion in the world, all this technology and distraction and media and all the things that happen that are grabbing at my attention, all the things to do, and all of that, right? That's the world we live in, most of us, every day. And what does it come down to for us is just making choices, right? To make choices, to think about what do we value? And it's those moments, right, of those, that knowing of who we are, that reminder of who we are, that we can let the commotion fall away. And we begin to uplift that true I am that is the truth of who we are and follow that. So this idea of practicing, of letting go so that we can find the blessing, so that we can remember who we are, is really enhanced right now by the season of emptiness. Did you know we were in the season of emptiness? So you're thinking, now, what are you talking about? It's sun's out, it's spring, it's Easter time, but not quite yet. Now, Easter, spring did come, but the rains aren't done with us, right? That's what we've heard. There's more purification to come. There's more release to come. In other words, we're on that cusp of winter into spring. We're still two weeks away from Easter. So that makes us in the season of Lent, which is a season of emptying, of prayer, of fasting. It's also the season of Ramadan for Muslims, which is an intense time of fasting and prayer. So it's all of that that surrounds us that is available to us. You know, when there's a collective energy like that, it's, it's kind of like when we all come together, I'm looking at Pam, in noon meditation, and we talk about sometimes what a difference it is to meditate with others, how that, that when we do drop in and we all drop into that silence, it's like, ooh, yeah, we all went to that place together, and it's enhanced by that experience. So similarly, we have that collective energy of emptiness around us that is still available to us, that can support us. We're also in the season for nonviolence and peace and nonviolence. And so what that season is about is fasting from violence, right? And so you might think, well, I'm not a violent person, so I don't really need to pay attention to that. But yet, what could you fast from? Maybe watching violent movies or TV or media or perhaps thinking and feeling and acting out of a consciousness of separation, which is really what is back behind violence that occurs, right, in its various forms. And so if we say, well, I'm going to fast from separation consciousness, then what are we going to really step into is a consciousness of oneness. And so it's what arises, the gift that arises out of our willingness to say what I'm going to say no to, what I'm going to let fall away, what I'm going to practice in this way. We could fast from anything. We can fast from news, negative news, or conspiratorial news, and say, okay, I'm not going to listen to the conspiracy theories, or I'm going to notice when it's really sensationalized, and I'm going to say no to that, and I'm just going to, you know, just bear information if you can find it. <laughs> Good luck. Let me know where you find it. We can fast from, from uh, negativity in general. We can fast from judgment. This is really getting to the kind of practice that our co-founder Charles Fillmore, both of our founders, Myrtle and Charles Fillmore, talked about, and, and specifically Charles wrote about in his book, Keep a True Lent. 
He talks about Lent as a season to let go, a season to let go of negativity. And he says specifically this, a great number of things that you look on as realities are simply transient shadows that can be dissipated into nothingness by your telling them the truth as to their unreality. So a lot of times we don't really notice how we've been wooed, you know, how our minds have been wooed into creating realities that don't really hold up. We create houses of cards that are based on lack or limitation or not enoughness, false ideas about who we are or who we are as a, as a human race. And we begin to buy into that, to allow it to seep into our consciousness, to accept it as our reality, and then we live as if that is our reality. And then all of a sudden, truth comes in, and, and, and you know, the house of cards falls. And we go, oh, wait, we read a quote from one of the Fillmore's, and we say, whoa, wait a second, that's the truth, that's, that's what I want to stand upon. And so it's the unrealities that I need to flick away, to allow to fall down, so that the absolute truth, the absolute, relative, the absolute reality, not the relative reality that is temporal, but the absolute truth that is a permanent truth. God is my source. I am one with this presence and this power. I am made of love. I come from my source. Therefore, I am love. And while I may fall down sometimes and not perfectly express that love, I am a constant work in progress that remembers the reality of which I come from. And I remember that by noticing the unreality and telling it to take a hike. So it's that kind of awareness, right, that, that we're talking about in this kind of practice, which is saying, look to what isn't working and say no to it. Let it go whether it's a habit of mind or a habit of body or a habitual way that you interact with your loved ones and you say, you know what, I want to change this paradigm. This doesn't work for us anymore. Not working for me, is it working for you? No, not working for me. Okay, let's change the paradigm. And so it's, you know, it's, it really comes down to those kinds of looking, that kind of looking, and as Charles Fillmore says, it can be dissipated into nothingness when we tell the truth to our unreality. So we can let our unrealities go, our limitations, our beliefs and lack, the things that we've allowed where by asking ourselves, you know, where am I at any given time? You can kind of use inquiry throughout your day at any given time. Where, is, where am I in my mind? Where am I in my heart right now? You know, have a bell go off on your phone and then just drop, oh, yeah, what am I feeling right now? What am I thinking right now? How's my body? How's my feet, as my friend likes to say a lot? How are your feet? Always, always just takes me aback, but then it's like, oh, well, yeah. Not much energy down in those feet. Okay, let's put them down back on the ground. <laughs> so it's that kind of, of um, awareness that we begin to develop. What am I feeding my consciousness? Is it really food? Or is it just empty of nutrition? Just a distraction. 
You know, Emmett Fox talks about in the golden key, you might remember his work on the golden key, which is basically just stop yourself in, the, in your tracks when you notice that you're going down one of those roads that isn't going to be helpful and turn your attention instead to the divine in that moment. So maybe you turn to a word of affirmation or your breath or dropping into your heart or whatever, how, however it is for you to move. Maybe you just look out around you and like right now I'm looking out the window and I see these beautiful pink flowers. And it's like, wow, just popping, you know? And so it's a moment of gratitude, a moment of something that you see and experience and ah, okay, back, reset. It's a spiritual reset. A few nights ago, my uh, mom and my sister, my sister, my sister was recently here, so that's where I went off there. It was Brenly, my wife, there she is. <laughs> Brenly and my mom and I were watching a movie, The House of Versace. I don't know if anybody's seen that, it's been around for a while. And Donatella Versace, at this point in the movie, was uh, she was the sister of Gianni Versace, who had, been, who had died, he actually had been murdered. And she, for years, went into, she continued to work and, and present the Versace line, but things were not going well. And partly, a big reason why they weren't going well is because she had turned to drugs and alcohol. And so she was at a really low point in, the, in her life, in the movie, at that moment that we were watching. And all of a sudden, my attention was drawn out the front window, and I looked out, and there were these beautiful, like, bluish, grayish, stormy clouds floating over the mountain with portals of light poking through and a crescent moon up above. And I was just like, oh, stop the movie! Everybody, look outside! And it was just like, wow, you know? And we had that moment of affirmation and appreciation, and it was just what was needed, at least for me, to spiritually reset. So it's that kind of, sometimes we'll be guided. It'll be something spontaneous like that. Or sometimes it'll be a deliberate thought that we have, like, ah, oh, this doesn't feel very good. Where can I go to reset, to remember, to turn my thoughts back to God? And it's all it takes, really. It can be a very simple thing that happens for us when we reset in this way. When we empty ourselves of something we don't want to carry, then what we fill back up with is the light, is the love, is the joy, is the peace, and that's what we then carry out into the world and through our experiences and what we, the food that we have filled ourselves up with that we draw from then. So the emptiness Sometimes it feels like a counterintuitive unity practice to talk about emptiness because we so tend to focus on the affirmation, the positive, the good, right? The abundance. And yet you can't really have one without the other, not in its fullness, not in its richness. And so it's the stripping away, the emptying, the quiet, the stillness is where this good arises out of. And that's the work that we're talking about here. It can happen in our tears, you know, so sometimes there's just grief that is, a, is up for us for whatever reasons, grief for the world or grief for the loss of somebody we love or the end of a relationship, who knows what it is. Grief when we move into something great that's new, you know, people get retire and they're like, I can't wait for retirement. And it's like, oh man, I feel really down, you know. <laughs> Well, it's that letting go, right? We close one door, we open another, and there is grief, even if it's a good thing. 
for us. And so it's that recognition that sometimes our society doesn't really support a lot of spaciousness for that, but it's important to give ourselves that spaciousness. This isn't about, you know, um, the spiritual bypass, <laughs> but it's acknowledging what is real, what is here, what is true for us, what is a part of the human heart's walk that needs release, that needs opening. Because you know how it feels after a good cry? You know, it's like it, you may be hesitant to get into it, and you may not enjoy it through the crying. I don't know, everybody cries differently. Mine is sort of this ugly, the ugly cry, you know, the... <laughs> You know, if one like really in it. <laughs> but when it's over, it's like, oh, you know, you feel kind of free and light and open. And there's, a, there's that resting point, that complete point. It's like the end of a breath. There's just, ah. And then what fills, right? What comes next is usually hope, new life, new possibility, light. Some little something that comes in and then begins to expand in our good. One of my favorite sentences in the Bible is the shortest sentence in the Bible. Jesus wept. I love that so much. I, like, I just say it again and I love it so much. And it's like, why are you celebrating Jesus wept? But it's because, you know, we see him as a way shower, we see him, we, we put him on a pedestal, much as, you know, our teachings say, no, you can do this too. I think it's natural that we kind of say, oh, yeah, but, you know, look what these teachers, these master teachers did, how they paved the way, and we look to them in that way. But it's that hum deep humanity that shows up there. And Jesus wept because he had found out his dear friend Lazarus has made his transition. And he comes to the place where He's in the cave, in the crypt, and the, all the people, Mary and Martha, the other friends of Jesus and Lazarus, and many others are gathered around, and everybody's weeping. And I imagine there's also kind of a feeling of too soon, too young in the air, that other, that other aspect of grief that kind of gets added on when somebody didn't live out their fullness of their life, and so there's that too. And Jesus wept knowing that in a few moments he was going to call Lazarus forth from the dead. And still he wept. And so there's this depth of humanity of like, let's go all the way into our experience. Let's empty ourselves so that then life can come forward in its fullness. And so when he calls Lazarus forth from, from the tomb, life itself emerges from the dark death into the light of day. And that's what happens to us over and over again. It may not feel that profound to you, but it is profound. When we gather together as a group and we get still, like we did a little bit ago with that beautiful song that Karen led us in with the emptiness and the fullness and the no push and the no pull, and it's like you can almost feel like everybody go, oh, yeah. Whew, no push, no pull, let's all open up, let's all relax, let's all go, oh, and then we all drop into that place. And then we come back out and there's new life, there's new breath, there's new love, there's new capacity to feel and to know and to experience and to touch the presence. But we wouldn't have gotten there without the emptying, without the receiving 
without the letting go, without turning up our hands and sitting still and saying, okay, fill me up. I come empty. It's that kind of thing, that kind of simplicity of practice that can be so profound. There are so many ways that we can practice. And emptiness again and again will bring forth a fullness, a multiplication of our blessings. So, you know, we, it could be tears. Like I said, it could be uh, food. It could be the traditional form of fasting from food. I don't know if any of you have experienced fast, intentionally fasting from food as a spiritual practice before, or maybe different ways. Some people practice intermittent fasting. That's kind of popular now. Or juice fasting. That's something that I like to do. And um, sometimes when I do a juice fast, I have energy that goes through the roof. And other times I've done a juice fast, and it's like, oh, I'm like mildly irritated day after day after day. <laughs> But it's curious to me. It's like, well, I wouldn't have known about that irritation that was there if I was continuing to eat, you know, regular foods, breads, and heavier foods, and just like, you know. But suddenly the barrier of food is removed, and whatever is there arises to the surface. And I feel like I'm, it, there's a, an aliveness and a realness that's available to me that I didn't have before. And so it's these kinds of practices that can be uh, simple and can be very profound for us. The biggest uh, fasting experience I ever had was when I fasted in the Inyo Mountains, the White Mountains in California here. With a, it was a group-supported effort, but then we go, you go out solo and you fast from food, company, and shelter for three days. And I, at the time, lived in the Midwest, so I was petrified of rattlesnakes and mountain lion, <laughs> those kinds of things, you know. Um, not to say I'm not, you know, don't still have a, um, my own fears around these things, but I kind of got used to the rattlesnake thing, but the, the mountain lion I haven't yet encountered. But regardless, um, it, once I got into the fasting, it didn't, like that, those fears just receded. Once I kind of settled into, okay, this is what's happening here, and began to empty myself, my belly of food, so much more arose. I had this whole like really um, purging experience of emotion and pain and um, physical and emotional process of letting go, of letting go of anger, of letting go of sadness, and then letting go of a whole line of long, suddenly the ancestors started lining up, the maternal ancestors, and recognizing their stories. And, you know, that's what happens, right? We have these connections, and once we begin to do the healing at that deep level, our ancestors also get to experience the release. And so all of that happened. At the end of three days, I was like, I don't even know if I can make it back to camp. I am so weak. My body is weak. I'm like, my, I'm emotionally exhausted. This is not my practice, <laughs> is what I was saying. But I got back down and got filled, not only by the food, but the stories of what other people went through in their solo time. And my heart was just like bursting with love and compassion and respect for humanity that I'd never experienced before with a, a, a spiritual power, a renewed power within me, even when I was feeling weak, you know, just that, that sense of, I know who I am. 
like the desert monk said, I know who I am and I'm not paying attention to the commotion anymore because I've gotten a glimpse of it. I've seen it. I've experienced it. I felt it. And so when we have those, instead of going, oh, that was a cool fleeting experience I had 10 years ago, it's like recalling it brings forth the jewels for us. Recall a time when you remembered who you are. Bring it back and feel it again in your body, in your heart. Remember it in your mind. And then you begin to walk it again. Oh, yeah, I remember what that felt like. When I was filled with faith, when fear had left, it had receded behind me, like as if I'd taken off my clothing and continued to walk in this wide open sunshine of knowing the divine was with me always, guiding my steps, lightening my steps. So it is for us to find our, our ways, our practices, whatever it is that we might decide that we want to do. It can be anything. We can come to spirit empty with our hands uplifted and sit in the stillness. We can take a walk in solitude in nature. We can you know, write our thoughts down for 15 minutes a day, start a practice for the next two weeks and just say, I'm going to dump all my thoughts on this paper, whether they're mundane or profound, it doesn't matter. I'm going to be doing my taxes there in the paper. I'm going to be writing my to-do list. And then in the middle of it, some gem's going to come out and I'm going to go, whoa, what was that? You know, so there's that, that kind of thing of saying, my, my practice, our work, this is what I really want to say, our work is to slow down and empty so that we can receive. The divine does the rest. We make it so hard, but it's not that hard. It's like, I let go. That's my work. I let go. I clear the blocks. I open myself to receive. I slow down enough so that I can pay attention to the goods that come. And that's it. God does the rest fills us up with the light, the love, the joy, the peace, because it's always there. It's just we blocked it with a bunch of other distractions. And so it's that that helps us illuminate the truth of who we are. So what will you let go of? What tears are waiting to be shed? What ill feelings are wanting to be forgiven and released? What is waiting? What is knocking at the door? The habits of mind that are ready to be released. The emptiness practices that are calling you. Maybe it's simply by saying, I'm going to do less. I'm not a human doing. I'm a human being. And I'm going to simply do less. I'm going to remove from my calendar and my day the things I don't enjoy doing. Or... And really, the truth is, we have to also remove the things we do enjoy doing because there are so many possibilities of things to do, right? And just let the true gems be the thing that we allow ourselves to put our energy into, our investment into, and our value into. And watch how the many, many multiplied blessings come forth from that. That monk in the desert showed us that when we slow down, we experience God and are enlivened by a renewed passion. Charles Fillmore said, we know by experience, this one came from Keep a True Lunt too, 
We know by experience that when guided by the spirit of truth or the Christ within, our consciousness rebuilds the weak and tottering structures of materiality and vivifies them with undying energy and life. I'm always amazed at this man's vocabulary who had very little education. I want to be vivified with undying life and energy, don't you? <laughs> That's a great affirmation. I am vivified with life and undying energy. Actually, that's better than the one I have today. So we're going to say, we're going to say them both. <laughs> but in these final two weeks of Easter, I want to encourage us all, choose some emptiness practices. Just one is fine. And really let yourself really get into the season of this, emptying, letting go, so that when we come together for Easter, there is that potent feeling in this space of what has transformed in us. That's the Easter experience. That when we come forth, we have let go completely, right? That's the crucifixion, right? That's the big one. The crossing out of what doesn't serve us anymore so that the light and the truth can really shine and be experienced. Oh, what fun we're going to have on Easter <laughs> and the two weeks in between. So let's affirm my affirmation and the one from Charles Fillmore. First, this one. I empty my mind, heart, and body, and the divine blesses me with overflowing goodness. I am vivified with energy and new life. Let's say that. I am vivified with energy and new life. And so it is.